Welcome back to the E-Hunter podcast, everybody. Boy, it's been a minute since we've had a, a podcast. I apologize. It's been crazy. We've been out hunting a lot, both Seth and myself. And um, man, podcast, podcasts have kind of taken the, the back seat for a little bit. But man, if anything's going to take a back seat to anything, it's good to uh, take a back seat to hunting. We've had a lot of fun. We've had some some great success and uh, made some great uh, memories and had some great adventures. So we apologize. I've uh, been slacking a little bit on the podcast, but excited to bring you guys some, some podcasts. We'll get back into it and try to be posting one again every week. Um, I'm excited about today's podcast. I have a couple really good friends of mine, and you guys will, if you've been followers of eHunter for any amount of time, you'll know the names of uh, Curtis Larson and Monty Miles. They, uh, they're they partners with us uh, in the beginning of, of eHunter and um, you know, been and been a huge part of, of eHunter as as we've grown, and so since then uh, they've actually spun off and they are doing this uh, the Winter Range Foundation, and a lot of you probably have heard about the Winter Range Foundation. I was actually part of it in the beginning, but uh, they're really starting to grow and do some really cool things, and so I wanted to get them on the podcast and talk about the Winter Range Foundation, what they're focusing on, what what projects they're doing, and then probably the most important part is how we can help them as they continue to to grow. So super excited to have them. Before we jump into the podcast, though, I wanted to take a couple of minutes and you know thank the people that make this whole thing possible. Uh, first and foremost is Vortex Optics. Vortex uh, has some amazing stuff. I spent a lot of time behind their optics the last couple of months, and uh, whether it's the the spotting scope or the my razor binoculars using the rangefinder. I mean, gosh, <laughs> without <laughs> Vortex, I'm not sure I'd be successful with any kind of hunt right now so check them out at vortexoptics.com also i'll probably i'll leave a link down in this the description below down in the show notes to uh, optics planet optics planet is doing some pretty cool stuff with with vortex right now they have some great sales on them so if you're looking for optics this is a great time to be buying them so that you can get them and uh, get used to them before next year's hunting season also a great time to be out and about looking at uh you know mule deer in the rut and things like that so uh, click that link below, check them out, and and see the the deals that they have on the on the Vortex products. Also, want to thank Onyx Maps. I spent a lot of time using Onyx Maps. They're doing a cool thing right now, a masterclass series, and I think the one right now that they have going on is one about Alaska. So I believe the Hunt and Fool Boys uh, here in Southern Utah with me, they're doing a masterclass on Alaska. Which, gosh, I used Onyx so much in Alaska when I was there a couple of months ago. So check that out. But we want to thank them for their uh, their partnership with us here in, in the podcast. And then lastly, uh, we posted this on our stories, but um, want to let you guys know that Mountain Ops is doing a pretty sweet Black Friday sale right now. So again, I'll leave a, a link in the description and the show notes below. But uh, go ahead and click that note. That'll give you access to their Black Friday sales. And go check those out if you're in the and if you need any kind of uh, supplements or meal replacements or even like gear and apparel, a lot of that stuff is on uh, on sale right now. So for Black Friday, it's obviously limited time, but so go ahead and, and click that link below and, and get you some good stuff. Appreciate Mountain Ops. So, all right, guys, let's go ahead and jump into the podcast with Monty and Curtis and talk about the Winter Range Foundation. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. All right, so you're going to recognize these guys, uh, these ugly mugs. If you've been with eHunter for a while, these guys' faces and names are going to be pretty well known to you. Um, they're the ones that actually started eHunter and then brought myself and Seth into it. Since then, they, uh, they've they ditched us and are too cool for us nowadays doing their thing. So uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but with me today, I have Monty Miles and Curtis Larson of the Winter Range Foundation. What's up, guys? Hey, thanks for having us, Taryn. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's about freaking time we get you guys on a podcast. Where's Seth at? Come on. He's sleeping. Seth, come on. Wake up. Yeah, he's he's an old man. You guys don't know that about Seth yet? He's an old man. He's got to go to bed at like 5 o'clock in the evening. That's too bad. <laughs> I was looking forward to talking to him, all four of us together. I know. That's what I was saying. We got the. We need to get the band back together. We need to get a, a shoot in the bowl podcast where we're uh, solving all the world's problems, all the hunting world's problems. I miss those podcasts. I hear you there. No, but I'm. I'm glad to have you guys on. Appreciate you taking the time this evening to uh, to chat with me. Um, just so everybody knows, uh, the Winter Range Foundation. So actually, the three of us kind of uh, had started it, and since then, uh, I've pulled out of it and. 
focus more on the e-hunter stuff and and they've and Curtis and Monty have, have really taken off with the the Winter Range Foundation and if you guys uh, aren't following them on on any of the social medias you should be because they're posting some pretty amazing stuff and, and doing some amazing stuff for the the Winter Range and uh, for the animals on the Winter Range specifically I guess they're doing all animals or you guys are doing all animals but mule deer is the one that uh, you'll see a lot on the on the Facebook and uh, and Instagram pages so yeah. uh, man you guys are you guys are getting some good footage out there. Yeah, they're close to our hearts, some mule deer, that's for sure. <laughs> you guys can't forget about the other animals, though. Yeah, I know, but it helps when they're 20 yards outside of our door. It's pretty easy to film. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about that. Tell us where you guys are at, where your focus is at, um, kind of what you guys are doing right now. Yeah, we're based out of western Wyoming in a little town called Pinedale, Wyoming. So we're about an hour and a half south of Jackson Hole, the big ski resort. However, we're nothing like Jackson Hole. I was going to say, you guys are, you guys have the same mentality as Jackson Hole and, no, and all that kind of stuff. absolutely not. There, there might be a few Arizona implants that are trying to turn us <laughs> into Jackson. but Easy now. <laughs> Truth be told, aren't you an Idaho transplant? Me? No, I'm from Utah. So. Oh, you are? Yeah. Gosh, why did I thought? Yeah, he spent the last... 10 years in Arizona, though. Yeah. Yeah, you're basically an Ari- Arizonian. What, is, what do you call, even call an Arizona? Well, Arizona is basically California now, so I had to get out of there and move to Wyoming. So I think I think they call them left-wingers is what they call them. That's exactly it. Yeah. They call them blue is what they call them. Yeah. Blue. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, man. I spent the last couple of weeks down there in that state, and it, it's changed, man. It's, it's kind of like Colorado. You know, I lived in Colorado for quite a while. When I first got there, it really wasn't too bad, and then it, I just couldn't do it anymore. And Arizona's kind of becoming that same way. Next is, uh, yeah. next is Wyoming, by the way. Easy. <laughs> That'll never happen. <clears throat> Too many good people live here. But, I agree with that. Yep. Too many. Isn't there like, what, 500 people total population in uh, in all of Wyoming? Actually, I think that... Oh, what... Man, I saw a stat we, about the... like the. I think it's the only state with a declining population right now or something like that. Isn't that right? We have more antelope than we have people in the state of Wyoming. Dude, so. that I believe. You guys have a ton of antelope everywhere you go down i-80 there's antelope everywhere yeah yep. they're not as fun to film right now though <laughs> the ruts over they're just kind of hanging out in big groups so yeah you there they're just they're just pissed off at each other right now so they're fun yeah, I was gonna say some of the stuff you're posting on Instagram, man. They're, you're right in the middle of that that mule deer, uh, which is just perfect for uh, kind of your guys's focus as the as the Winter Range Foundation and, and really helping that Winter Range. So I want to talk a little bit about the Winter Range today, uh, your foundation, what your kind of what your goals are as your foundation. Talk about some of the the projects that you all have done and kind of what the future projects are for you guys. And then probably mostly most important thing I want to talk about is, uh, you know, how we can help you guys, you know, how our listeners can help, how, con- you know, us as conservationists and hunters and outdoorsmen, sportsmen can, can help you guys out with your cause. So I want to start off by asking you the question, you know, like why the Winter Range Foundation? You know, there's, there's so many foundations out there. There's the Mule Deer Foundation, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, you know, all these animals that we love. Why the, why the Winter Range Foundation? You want me to take this one? Yeah, you've taken it before. You like this one. You like this question. <laughs> like oh, wait, wait, wait. This isn't an original question? No, no we've, we've never been times. asked. <laughs> <laughs> no, so <clears throat> the Winter Range Foundation, we, we started because we saw a need, right? You always, you know, we, we love animals. We love the outdoors. We all have a passion for that. So, but a lot of people are focusing on the migration path of the, the pronghorn and the deer, a lot of their summer range, that habitat, stuff like that. But we feel like the winter range has kind of been, been left out. You know, once they're, once they're migrated, once they're down, it's like, okay, hands are washed. Good luck. But we all know winters in Wyoming, they're a lot of fun. Right. So that was kind of our, our focus. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to work on the migration route because that's all part of it. We're going to work on, you know, fencing. We're going to work on habitat projects, things like that. But we're going to focus on the winter range and make sure that all those habitat areas are bolstered up and healthy and strong because we need those animals to survive those tough winters that we have here. So that's going to be our main focus is, I mean, it has been 
building up the the habitat there. We've got shrub a shrub analysis project that we're working on um, right now with the Game and Fish, where we're analyzing feed, new growth projects that they've done out there, seeing you know what what kind of health our our sagebrush and plant life you know has on the winter ranges, so that we can figure out where we need to we'll work for them and, and, you know, areas that we can target to make better. But I don't know. We love mule deer and, and you can, you know, see the trend of mule deer. We, we live here on a, on a ranch and the guy that owns it, he's, he's been into mule deer since the eighties. And he tells us stories of the heyday and we see pictures of them and, you know, filming Popeye and Morty and these huge, huge deer. And, and it's just, sad to hear his story of how good they were doing back then and and it's the numbers have dropped off so much and so you know if we want our kids to be able to enjoy the deer and and things like that something's got to change that was kind of our main reason for getting into this and figuring out how we can make a difference there you know i still remember like the day that the monty said hey let's what about the winter range foundation and really focusing on on winter range And, and that's exactly like what the first thing that came to my mind were those pictures you know, of, of Popeye, of Morty, of Scar, of all these on our on our web on our eunder.com page, the the legends never die. Looking at all those photos, and uh, I think that's really what made me fall in love with like the Winter Range Foundation, and, and really bought into that. That man, these, these deer and, and all these animals just used to they used to thrive, and, and since then they've just kind of gone downhill. But uh, man, it's I, I would love to see it get back to that. And, and Monty, you may be able to answer this question. But Curtis, you might be able to as well. I know you haven't been in Wyoming as long, but what's the winter kill like on that herd that, that comes through? I mean, I know you guys are looking at look, uh, the feed and whatnot, but, you know, is winter kill a, a huge deal with that, that herd that's migrating? Well, I think it was the winter of 16 or 17. I can't remember which. So just like five or six years ago, it had a 99% mortality rate on fawns that year. 99 Wow. So we're just starting we're just starting to recover from that. So that's one of the worst years since I've been here and I've been here 12 years now. Okay. <clears throat> but other than that, you know, it's not too bad. The last few years have been pretty mild, at least where we're at. I think overall in Wyoming, even the western states, it hasn't been bad the last few years, but Yeah, that, 16 or 17 that year was that was brutal, especially for the mule there. Yeah, the bad thing is the winters haven't been that bad, and the reason they haven't been that bad is because we haven't gotten the snow. But that also comes with the drought that you know impacts these yeah. animals in a different yeah. way. So, and also negatively. So, it, from one bad thing to another. So that's you know that's something that. I, so I've got a really good friend that's a biologist here in Utah, and we were actually just talking about this because he was asking me about the Winter Range Foundation. I was I was trying to hit him up about it and see if he couldn't get you guys some projects here in Utah as you guys start to expand out. And, and he says, yeah, that's kind of one of the biggest concerns we have, like on the beaver unit and um, Monroe and stuff like that is the, the winter kill. And so it made me start thinking about like, man, I've seen all those pictures that you've posted, Monty, all these pictures that you've taken and yep. just uh, wonder what that winter impact is on, on those animals. It's not just the winter. It's, you know, it's the spring snowstorms that are brutal too. You know, the deer start migrating back, you know, in May, April, May, mm-hmm. and they get halfway back to their summer grounds and then the winter hits a snowstorm drops another two foot up two foot of snow up in the high country and they're stuck up there. They're not going to migrate back down. That's what a lot of winter kill happens too. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually spring snowstorms. You know, I was watching some deer just the other day uh, in an area where there was a lot of snow and, and I was actually impressed of how well the deer could find feed, even in, you know, two or three feet of snow. I was glassing from way below looking up on the, on the mountain, watching them kind of go through the snow finding feed but you could tell that it was it was really tough on them so i I can only imagine in in wyoming you guys probably get a little bit more snow than we get what's your what's your average snowfall do you know i don't know that no okay it's a lot the last few years hasn't been that bad but oh well it seems like every picture you send me is there's a lot of snow on the ground more snow than i want so It, it, it was early this year yeah that's good though. I mean, as long as it's not too crazy, that that's good. You know, that that's some good moisture on the ground, good for the the feed. But you just don't want it to to harm the animals. So, with your with your Winter Range Foundation, obviously you both are now in uh, in Pinedale. Is your focus there mainly just in, in Wyoming? Are you looking to expand into other states? I know you know in the beginning we talked about all of the western states, but where are you guys at now with it? 
So our plan is, you know, all the Western states. However, just focusing here in Sublet County, we have more projects than we could even handle right now, just in this county alone. Wow. Our ultimate goal is to expand, you know, all Wyoming, Idaho, all the Western states, basically, is our ultimate goal. That's awesome. Well, yeah, so... Oh, go ahead, Curtis. Sorry to cut you off. So I don't know if a lot of people know, but there there is a migration route here in Wyoming that cuts right through where we live. Um, it's one of the biggest, longest recorded migration routes in North America. Um, starts up in Jackson, heads all the way down to I-80. So it's, you know, 200 miles plus. So in between that 200-mile section, there, you know, like Monty said, more projects that you can even even attempt to tackle, you know, with development, with road crossings, with, with all that kind of stuff, you know, it's just, so, so yeah, we, we do want to expand, but we're going to get our hometown. We're going to get it figured out here and make sure, you know, there's four major winter ranges just, just right here within, you know, an hour or two of us. So we got our hands full right now, but definitely once we start to grow, we're going to go, you know, all the winter ranges, we can make an impact on that and help, help the animals. So. Well, I don't want to be selfish, you know, because I, I know all the winter ranges are, are important, but you guys live kind of in a, I mean, just exactly what you said, you're in a pretty special area and, and just a, a focus in the area where you're at right now. I mean, you guys can make huge impacts on deer that spread a long distance, you know, miles and miles, hundreds of miles. And so I, I think that's a good idea is to, to start right where you're at and, and work from there. And you're, you guys kind of talked about these projects that, you know, there's there's so many projects. And, and, you know, when people think of the winter range, you know, they're thinking, okay, what kind of projects can you really do with the winter range? And I mean, obviously with migration, you guys can put in overpasses and, and things like that. But tell us a little bit about these projects. What, what kind of projects are you guys working on? Have you done, um, you know, what what can you do? So one of the projects that Curtis kind of touched on was the shrub and sagebrush nutritional content analysis. Basically what we're doing is comparing the four major winter ages here in Sublet County and see how they stack up to each other. You know, see which one's better, which areas are better, and which areas need the most work. So basically. Yeah. So what does that entail? Do you guys go out and actually get samples of the of the sagebrush yeah, and the we, shrubs? And we, get back? we get samples. I think we're getting... 20 or 25 samples per area, per winter range. And then we're sending it off to a company called Dairy One, I believe. I think they focus mostly on cattle, but they'll also do it for sagebrush and different types of shrubs too. Oh, nice. So that doesn't take like a huge group of guys pretty much. Uh, is this pretty much the two of you guys doing that or do you have a crew that's helping you with it? Uh, we got some volunteers that'll help. And then we got a game and fish habitat biologist that'll be out there too. You know, just comparing new growth versus old growth and then, you know, where they've they've mowed or where they tried to burn it off and see the new growth compared to the other four ranges here. So that's a cool aspect of it, too, is because Game and Fish and other other uh, nonprofits have done projects out there. They've mowed or they've burned or they've done stuff like that. But is it really working? You know, so we're going to go in and analyze that new growth as well and see if it's actually worth doing those kind of projects or you know if a burn is the best or planning or, or anything like that so it'll be a pretty fun one we'll you know get extensive documentation and data from that and be able to hopefully make a difference so you take the the, the data from this so you yeah you identify like yeah this is the the best way to go do you guys develop more projects based upon what that data is like yeah now we'll go in and do a burn here like a controlled burn here or um, I, I don't reseeding certain areas is that kind of the stuff that you'll take from that data? Yeah, I'll, get, I'll, th I'll throw an example out there. So, you know, Popeye and Morty, they were out in the ryegrass in the Calpet area. So the ryegrass right now, I just drove it this morning, spent about three hours out there, and I don't think I saw a dozen deer. Wow, in that in that whole area, and that's where the Valley of the Kings, so King Crab was. Morty was thousands of other deer were back in the eighties and nineties. So something's happened since then until now that them deer don't want to be there. That's interesting. So we got to figure out what's happened. Yeah. Do you guys have much for uh, alfalfa fields around that area? No, no, hardly any agricultural land down here. 
Okay, so they do have to feed off of sagebrush and ryegrass, and I mean that's that's some kind of that's that can be some yeah. tough feeding, you know, around here and in Colorado. A lot of these 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 deer will that's where they'll go during the winter is these hay fields, and I mean they'll basically just live on the hay field all winter long and eat that, and it's great food, it's good protein, you know. They that's why they can can thrive in those areas like Colorado. I mean that's why it has such a, a great deer herd now is because yeah. of that that winter feed, and so man, that's tough that those deer have to eat that up there. Yeah, and they actually the private landowners have a elk fence. So they don't want the elk in there at all, feeding on their haystacks. So yeah, they built cool. like a like a buffalo fence, like a six foot tall elk fence. I guess I and get that's, I get that. Yeah, but it's impeding the migration quite a bit because we got we set up a bunch of trail cameras and got footage of this, and they're struggling to go through these elk fences, the deer are. Does it reroute them around it, or is there ways to get uh, past that elk fence? It's trying to reroute it, but you're also, you know, a deer's imprinted from its from when it's a little one, you know, so it knows the route, and then it comes up to an elk fence, has no idea what it is. We had one young buck that was on trail camera, and it was sitting at a jump for 48 hours. It would come back every half hour to this jump. What I mean by jump, it's literally a five foot drop that the deer are supposed to jump off of uh-huh. and it wouldn't cross there and it couldn't get under. So it was a struggle for him. So, so yeah. he spent at least 48 hours because he was unique fork horn. So you could tell it was the same buck every time. Man, that's and crazy. I don't know where he, had, I don't know where he ended up crossing, but he crossed somewhere. Isn't it interesting how much, uh, civilization encroaches on on habitat and what this landscape used to look like at least wyoming still has somewhat of a resemblance of what it used to but man you look at some of the like again going back to colorado the encroachment that we have on on wildlife and habitat is is unreal and and i'm not saying that it's you know i'm not i'm not that kind of person it's going to happen you know human life is going to grow and develop and expand and, and and it is what it is but man the impact that it can have on on these animals like you said that that's how they're they're, they're imprinted at a young age. They know that route. They know what to do, to where, where to go, and you mess that up. And ultimately, you could kill an animal doing that. So, yep. but you, you got to have planned growth when it comes to growing in the county, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. We dealt with a few county commissioners on that subject alone, you know? Just have a planned growth on how town grows and where it should grow and not, you know, plan it accordingly. That's the question I was going to ask you guys as we got into this. Cause, and it's something I had always thought about, you know, I, I Every nonprofit, every foundation is going to have a a battle of of some kind. And uh, I was going to ask you guys, Curtis, have you guys experienced some of those battles since you've uh, since you've been going with this? Yeah, it definitely is different than what we expected coming into it. We, you know, without stepping on toes or without it's been a battle the whole time (laughs) throwing any organizations under the bus but like we we thought we'd come in with our ideas and be like heck yeah i mean we're all here for the same thing let's all do it more projects the better but it's not like that at all there's a lot of red tape and a lot of organizations you know they like their name on on things and they don't like you know other people coming in and, and doing things so yeah we've obviously had to had to play dice and had to work work with people and try to get you know a mutual understanding and get things done but <clears throat> we're you know we we want to work with them we want to do as much as we can together and and we're still working with them hand in hand but we're also gonna gonna do our own thing because we know it's it's not for us it's for the animals that we're here working for so i think the more projects and things we can get on the ground the better and if if that you know is through private funding, then we're going to do that and figure it out and just, just do it on our own and, and make it happen. So, but yeah, to answer your question, yeah, it's been, it's been tough since day one. <laughs> that was a very, very diplomatic answer. You notice I, I directed that one towards Curtis because I was afraid Monty I'd have to like beat yeah. out a whole bunch of stuff. So <laughs> yeah, that, I probably wouldn't have been as good as that. <laughs> no, there's been a lot of groups that have helped from the start, but there's also been, a few that have, push back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it's okay because everybody has their own agenda. I get that. You know, these this group wants to do this and this group wants to. I'm sure there's, you know, there's companies out there that want that expansion and they want these fences up or they want development or whatever the case may be. And, and that's their livelihood. That's how they make their money. That's what they feel like in their heart is what 
needs to happen. Um, and then, you know, we have our mindset. So I get it. It's going to happen. There's like you said, Curtis, there's going to be that red tape. You're going to have to have those hard conversations. You're going to have to win some, lose some. Uh, but uh, I hope, I hope that most people can see the the benefit that this can can bring an ultimate benefit. You know, we we can redevelop other places, we can do different things, um, but we've seen a, a steady decline in in animals, specifically mule deer, for years and years. I mean, not even just 2016. I know that was a or 15, whichever year that was. That's a terrible year, but you know, since the 80s and 90s in Wyoming and Utah. Uh, the states that I've lived in, there's been a huge decline in some of these animals, and, and a lot of it relates back to the the winter range. So I hope that people can see that that your guys's focus is a is a great focus and it is is a positive one in in the long term. So <laughs> yeah, and and to that point too, Taryn, like we've noticed that there's a big need just for education as well. Like a lot of people who you know might not be hunters or outdoors people, you know they. Oh, there's deer, there's antelope. That's cool, but they don't really know the details of it. So, we have focused a few of our projects on that. You know, we want to we want to do a few sign projects where we put up informational and educational signs on the winter ranges. So when people are driving through, they're not just saying, "Oh, this is the ugliest state I've ever seen." It's just sagebrush for miles, and and you know, it's but it really with that. does something. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's meaningful. It, it has a, a use, and and it's these animals and we actually have one that we're working on right now that we're really excited about. It's a, a children's book um, talking about the migration and, and the deer and the herds and things like that. And really, if, if the next generation has no idea about, about this, it's not going to go anywhere anyways. So starting at the youth and getting them informed and, and, you know, educating them about the migration route and the, the animals and the winter range and what they actually need to survive. Like I, I think a lot of it is, information getting that out to the general public and and making them aware of why it's important and why it's here and what we have to do to keep it here you know yeah no i think that's a fantastic idea start with start with the youth and, and get them educated and you know that's the thing is you know the youth these days they're so focused on progress progression you know and technology and, and things like that and they don't really think about you know, natural resources. They don't think about wildlife. And, and so it, I don't mean to sound dire here, but you guys kind of have an uphill climb uh, battling, yeah. you know, Apple and Microsoft and, and all those guys, Silicon Valley. It's, it's going to be a little bit of a battle. No problem. <laughs> you know, you guys are starting. No. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Monty. The children's book we were, that Curtis was talking about, we're actually gearing it towards meal there, of course. And two pretty famous main characters. I would assume you could probably guess the two main characters, Taryn. I'll bet I can. Let me let me let me just try here. Uh, Popeye and Morty. Hey, you got them. Yes. So we're gearing it to the old folk too. You like me, you know that remember Popeye and Morty. Even you, you oh, you got remembrance of Popeye and Morty. The really old guys like you, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, really old. <laughs> No, it, that's it's my birthday in like it's like a week away. So then I'm really old. I know I got that in my phone. In fact, I was looking at that the other day. I was like, "Hey, there's Monty Miles' birthday. How about that?" I'll be 35. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You wish, buddy. You wish. No, that's. I'm actually stoked. <laughs> I, I'm excited because you know we talked about that children's book. I think that's going to be fantastic. Let me ask you a little bit about that book because it's been a long time since we I've been able to talk to you guys about it. What's that book going to be like? I know we had talked about you know doing a coloring book. We talked about some of those kind of ideas. So what's this what's this book going to look like? So it's going to be a children's book about the start, you know, of the migration during the fall and then the trials and tribulations that they have going to the winter range. You know, so development, crossing the rivers, you know, lack of habitat itself, you know, predators, obviously. And you're going to be following the two characters, Popeye and Morty, down the down to the winter range. Sweet. So, so like a storybook. Yeah. It's going to be a storybook kind of it's telling gonna, story. It's geared towards the younger generation, but at the end we'll have actual pictures of Popeye and Morty in the winter range, you know, so you can get the parents involved too. So the kids can hand it off. And, and I, I know if I got that as a parent, I'd read the heck out of that book. Oh, for sure. That's what, just, parents get almost just as much out of children's books as, as the children do. You know, I know, yeah. uh, uh, Mr. What's it, Mr. Brown can move or whatever it is by Dr. Seuss and Ferdinand the Bull. I know those books almost inside and out. So, yeah, I think it's a good lesson for for kids as well as for adults as well. So I'm excited. How soon before you, before you guys gonna have that out? 
Oh, hopefully early next year. Springish is our goal. Nice. Because yep. we got we're not artists, so we got to hire that out and draw cartoon figures. Unless you want to do that, Taryn. No, actually, my wife is at, uh, putting out a a children's book right now. Actually, it's not a children's really? book. It's a yeah. It's it's gonna be pretty cool. Um, she's working on like the the illustrations with an illustrator and and stuff like that. It's a it's a lot of fun, and so um, I think you guys will enjoy it. It's it's a fun process. Uh, there's like everything else, there's a bit of red tape with it, but there, there's definitely a lot of enjoyment that comes with it. Did she stay local, or how did she find this illustrator? You can just go online and, and find them. So yeah. basically what she did is she went and found uh, some books that she really liked. She found, In fact, there was a Christmas book. Oh, I can't remember the name of the Christmas book, but it uh, was more of the illustration and style that she wanted, and so she reached out to that, that illustrator and uh, got a hook up there. So... That, I mean, that's what someone had told her to do. Just find a whole bunch of books, find kind of what you're looking for, some examples, and then start reaching out to illustrators. So what's her book about, or is it secret? Um, it's actually kind of, it's a it's going to be a Christian-based book, uh, kind of like a Christmas book. Um, nice. So, yeah, it, it'll be more of a, a church-based uh, it's it's pretty cool. It's something that we've done as a, a family tradition, and so she's going to kind of implement that into into the book with a couple different characters, and um, or she is, and it, so it's it's kind of fun. Do Curtis awesome. and I make the book or no? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there's some villains in it, and their names are Monty and Curtis. And <laughs> 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 no no it's it's a, it's all good it's it's awesome so no i'm excited for you guys to get that book out you guys man, you guys are getting me all excited again this is this is awesome the winter range foundation is i think it is fits you know it's such a great niche you know i think it is exactly what has been needed out there and i want to go back to you guys' projects a little bit because i you know if anybody that's followed you guys on social media i know you guys have done some other projects so tell us a little bit about these other projects that you've done any fencing stuff like that yeah, we've done quite a bit of fence removal and wildlife-friendly fences. So it's not the funnest jobs to do, but it's pretty crucial for the migration routes, you know, taking old fences, removing them. We did, was it a mile and a half or two miles last fall? Yeah. Wow. I think there was a crew of 10 of us that took that out, and we hammered it out in five hours, something like that. That's pretty intense, man. That's taking yeah, the fence out or just the bottom wire? All out. That one we did the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, that's backbreaking work right there. Yeah, we were all cut up at the end, but this this fence was, you know, I don't even want to guess how old it was, but it was all laying on the ground and, you know, not good fence at all. So, not, so there's probably going to be some people wondering, why in the world are you guys taking out fences? So, Curtis Monty, what, will you answer that question? Why? I mean, I know, but why are you taking those fences out? Yeah, I mean, so you, if you've ever been out hiking, you always come across these barbed wire fences, um, old, new, whatever. Um, but the migration route, like we were talking before, these deer are imprinted and, and they've got all these obstacles. So if they're going south and there's an east to west barbed wire fence, they're always having to get through that and figure out ways. And so, yeah, if it's, you know, if it's not serving a purpose, we're going to get rid of that. We're going to take out. I mean, that one we did, it was was three strand barbed wire fence, um, you know, a couple miles that was right on a ridge that they walk through every single year to get to their winter range. Um, so yeah, just to get rid of that obstacle as, as much as we can get rid of to make their, their path that much easier. We're going to do that. So nice. And a lot of people talk about so this taking that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Monty. No, go ahead. I, I was just going to ask, you know, a lot of people talk about taking that bottom wire out and, and I, I just want to make sure that we're, you know, meeting everybody where they're at that's listening to the podcast. And can you explain why you would go in and take the bottom wire out of a fence as well? Yeah, so that's probably, uh, Monty can probably do it too, but wildlife friendly fencing, they're starting to come out with, um, you know, options to make it a little better than the barbed wire. They'll do a, a bottom wire that's smooth and raise it a few inches so that it's easier for them to go underneath and they're not, you know, scratching their backs or getting hung up on that. Um, there's actually takedown fences now that they're implementing quite a bit that, um, 
you know, it'll just be on a little run and the ranchers will go through every year or volunteers or whatever, and, and they can take it off that top rung and it lowers that whole top, top rung down so they can just step over it. Um, Monty, you can add if you have anything. Yeah, that's kind of the most important one right now is the drop down fences. So basically they go, you know, during the winter right now, they would lower the fence. And then when the deer are done migrating, they move the fence back up. So it's just a simple right up to the switch of it and it's done. There's nothing else that needs to be done for that. That's kind of the, the key one to handle right now is that type of fence. Gotcha. Because our ranchers are still okay with it. It's got the fence there that keeps cattle and stuff in, but you can lower it as, as easy as just picking off that top wire and it's wild by friendly. Yep. What? I was watching a video on, on Instagram the other day of a, an elk trying to jump over a fence and there was a road underneath <laughs> it. And I'm guessing they were just sitting in their nice. car video. Have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, saw that one. man, that thing hits mm. so hard. I don't know how those things jump up from that. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's another, cool. another option they've been doing now is rather than tear out a mile of fence like we did, if the fence is still in working order for cattle, They'll simply put a gate in where the deer and elk and the antelope are crossing. So if you find one area that's 10 yards long to the, the deer are crossing, they'll put another gate and just open that up. Open it up when the cattle's not in there when the when the deer are migrating. That makes sense. Correct. I mean, that, that seems like it would be an easy fix. It's more cost effective than obviously replacing a mile of wildlife friendly fence. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, and... and yeah, I think I'm glad that you answered that question, uh, Curtis, because you know a lot of people may think, oh, you guys are out just, they're just taking down ranchers' fences, and you're just going to piss a lot of people off. Yeah. You and that going back to our conversation of, you know, working with people, and here you guys are taking down ranchers' fence. So that's yeah, that piss people off in a big hurry. So I'm glad that you're able to to answer that. And I like these cost-effective ways too. I think that's a, a smart way to go about it, uh, especially depending on where you're getting your funding from. You know, it makes it so that it's not too laborious to to do it, and you can actually. Uh, get the, the projects done so any other projects you guys yeah. have worked on well back to that there's a lot of ranchers too that you know want the wildlife to to thrive and so they're more than happy to you know let you replace their fences if they've got the bad fences they'll work with you and a lot of times they fund it too like hey you wow. come do the job i'll pay for the fence let's put the wildlife friendly fence so there are a lot of good ranchers that you know want the same things and so there, there are good working relationships we're, we're not all you know against each other and, and stuff like that but but it is it is good it's a working relationship and um you know we're, we all want the same thing at the end of the day yeah no i i'm glad to hear that i'm glad that there's a lot of people willing to to work with you and that was always you know kind of the hope that you'd, you'd get these other foundations that would work hand in hand and and, and really i think you know number there, there's power in numbers and so if you can get ranchers on your side if you can get farmers on your side get other foundations on your side you know I, I think the sky's the limit for for a foundation like like your all's to be able to to really make an impact on, on these animals so what projects do you guys have have planned other than i know you have the uh the uh, the sage and the shrub project coming up but any other projects you guys have planned that uh, people can start signing up for and help out with oh uh, we got a few bigger projects in mind it's just got kind of they're kind of hush hush on those projects until we get the funding. Oh, come on. You know, come big, on. Tell me about it. They're bigger. They're bigger funding. So it's not something that could be. Aaron, you got some funded, money, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let me just get my wallet out here. I'll just uh, <laughs> freak on poor as poor can be right now. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so yeah, we have some big projects and I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider the filming a project, but I think it's pretty important just to bring, you know, the aspect of the winter range and the mule deer and antelope and elk to yeah. the general public, you know, on our social media channels. Yeah, you're making it not look like they're uh, in a bad way right now. I mean, you're showing all these monster mule deer. It's like, geez, they're just thriving. They're everywhere. Like, they're like freaking jackrabbits out there. Uh, horn growth was good this year. And actually, the fawn recruitment has been good so far this year. So but we'll see what the winter brings. But what? So we... Go ahead. Sorry, we also talked about it a little bit earlier, but we, we've got a bunch of trail cameras up too. So we're kind of doing a trail cam analysis project as well, um, seeing where the routes are that they're crossing, seeing some of the obstacles that they're facing. 
Um, we've seen some that have had a hard, hard time getting across those elk fences. And so we can bring issues like that to, you know, the right departments to get things changed. So that's a, an ongoing project we've been working on this fall as well. And we talked about it. We're before. just trying to figure. Go ahead. Sorry. I keep cutting. I keep cutting. You're you good. You're good, man. <laughs> no, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> yeah. We're basically trying to figure out when these deer and antelope actually hit the winter range. And it's remarkable. I think the first week we had it was the middle of October. So second week of October, and we were already getting migration in the second wow. week of October. And it was 60 degrees up. That's so crazy. We Which, actually, we it's, hit the yeah. rut. We hit the rut pretty early down here in Utah too. So I did a, I guided a guy down here in Utah for the the rifle hunt here in in uh, in southern Utah, which was, gosh, you know, middle to end of of October, and those those deer were they were already rutted up, man. They had big necks and chasing does, and it was crazy. So sounds like you guys had a similar story up there. Yeah, our rut our rut is just starting now. As if. I was just blown away about when the migration started. Like I've been here 12 years and I always thought, well, they're moving, you know, November 1st when we get our first big snowfall. No, they were two to three weeks before that at least. So, okay. So, sorry. Actually, I didn't even know this. So they're, they start migrating. What about a month before they start rutting then? Usually not that long. At least I didn't think so, but yeah, it's, it has been about a month. Yeah. They're rutting right now and we were getting camera footage in the middle of October and they could have been before that just when our first cameras were out, which kind of surprised me. There was no, there was no big snowstorm. It was just something in their brain clicked. It's time to go down to the winter range. That tells me it's going to be a pretty nasty winter as that tells me that's just, maybe that's hopeful thinking. We have one camera that's, I suppose it's a crow flies 15 to 20 miles apart, maybe a little more. And we get one deer on that. And within two days, he was 20 miles south of there on the next camera. Wow. Same buck. Yeah. It was incredible how much that they'd move. So when you... To kind of answer your question that you had just a little bit ago, like with the rut, they're they're rutting in these stopovers. So they're migrating and then the rut hits when they're at a certain spot and they'll usually rut in the same spot, you know, every year. Monty's found these spots that are, you know, holdovers or stopovers that they, they rut in. But then when they're done with that rut, they're still moving. They're not to their winter range habitat where they're stopping. They're they're still traveling, and in some cases another hundred miles. You know, wow. so it's it's crazy. They they've got that all figured out. They start the migration. They've got the place where they hold over and rut and do all that, and then they keep on going. So interesting. I'll, I'll give one of my secret spots right now. So make sure you blurp this out, but. I'm going to highlight this one. Everybody take, get out a piece of paper and a pen. Get out the onyx. So Fremont Lake is where I was today and it is a huge rutting area for mule deer. However, give it a month and you won't see a single deer there. Interesting. So they, they stay right there to rut. They do their business and down south they go. Man. So with these bigger bucks, I mean, so when the rut start or the, sorry, I'm going to mix those two up. When the migration started in October, were you seeing big bucks migrating? Were you just seeing does? And now that it's rutting, you're starting to see these bigger bucks come in or you just been seeing big bucks this entire time. It started with does and younger bucks, like the four keys and the two year old bucks. I think our number one day was November 11th this year because on our trail cameras. I mean, we got, I suppose in that day we had a dozen deer over 180 inches on camera that day alone on our 12 cameras. Wow. And then, you know, a week, a week before that and up till now, you get, you know, one or two on camera mm-hmm. for the 12 cameras. They're big, mature, 180 inch bucks. But it seemed like that couple day period was, it's like a week before the actual rut is go time. So they were getting to their staging area and then, now they hate each other. Man, that's so crazy. Ah, I love it. I freaking love it. Just, I love what you guys are posting. I'm enjoying watching it. I can only imagine what you guys are, uh, are enjoying. Oh. I was telling you guys before we hit record, I'm going to go look at them tomorrow. But, man, it's, got, it's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't leaked hardly any of our photos yet. Just scratching the service on some of the stuff we have. Oh, you're such a tease. 
Such a tease. <laughs> you you got to have content for the whole year, right? That's true. That's true. You got to spread it out all year long. Dude, you got yeah, content we, for six years. Come on. Get it out there. We got a lot of content. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm really excited. Yeah. I, th- I think you guys are doing so, some awesome stuff. So I wanted to also ask you guys, you know, like I said, kind of the most important part of it is you're a nonprofit foundation. You need help from from private donors. You need help from from government funding and things like that. And so as uh, you know, it's a question I've always wanted to ask the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. I can always sign up and, you know, be a Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation you know, member or whatever. But ultimately, at the end of the day, like what can we do to help help the Winter Range Foundation grow, what can we do to, you know, volunteer, to donate, to speak our, our you know, our voice? What's the biggest thing that us as hunters and, and sportsmen can do to help foundations, especially the Winter Range Foundation? Do exactly what you just said. Do all them things. <laughs> donate if you can. Volunteer if you can. You know, we have memberships on our website. We have we can obviously accept donations, private donations. But volunteer, I think, is just as important as donating. So volunteering, like, volunteers. like man hours in the field, cutting down fence, or do you guys need help with, uh, you know, filing for grants and uh, paperwork and red tape and city council meetings? And, I mean, is there any of those kind of things that people can volunteer and help with? Yeah, tearing down fence is obviously a big one. You know, that's a pretty time-consuming project. You know, and obviously, like the analysis project, we're going to need a few volunteers for that. You know, it's not too time-consuming, but, you know, our window is short when we want to – you don't want to be, you know, testing the sage in May when the deer don't get hit till November, December. So we want to be testing right before they get to the winter range. So we'll need volunteers for that for the four different winter ranges. So – Gotcha. What about guys from other states? What can other people from other states do to help out? I mean, donate, is that probably the best and, and biggest thing that they can do? Yeah, that's... that's go ahead, Money. Uh, I was just going to say, and bring projects that they have in mind or that see a need for bringing up to our attention so we can reach out to you know, local game and fish chapters in that area, too. That's a big one, too. Like, people that are out there, boots on the ground, they can see things. One of the big projects right now and um, concerns is cheatgrass. So, you know, if you're out hiking around and you see some cheatgrass, that invasive species, tell someone. They're doing projects. We're doing projects on that. And, you know, we're not out there. And all, there, there's so many acres that you never even touch. So if you see anything like that, that's obviously bring that to our attention. But, yeah, I mean – one of the main things is you, you hate to ask people for it, but to be truthful, it's funding. There's a lot of projects that, that needs completed. Um, there's only so many grants that you can apply for. There's only so many that you're actually going to win. So the private donations are, are key to getting things finished and, and off the ground. So yeah, if you're, if you're able to sign up for one of our memberships, we'll throw back a couple of perks at you. Um, you know, if you need tax write off at the end of the year, you need a, throw a big chunk of money we're we're always willing to take that from you as well and put it towards some (laughs) some projects so so yeah look at our website we're uh, winterrange.org there's ways for you to donate there there's projects that we're working on if you like a project you can donate specifically to that project as well there's ways for you to to choose and allocate where you want your money to go Um, but even if it's not us and maybe the army our Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or Mulder Foundation has something going on where you're at, just go go do it. Go sign up for a day of, of work with them. It's all going towards our animals and it's all, you know, we're all part of the same cause. So help out where you can. I love that. That's that's awesome, man. I, and I appreciate that. that. That's a cool thing for uh, for you to say. And um, But I do think it's also important that people, you know, help a, a newer foundation like you guys as well and so i i'll say you know for those that are living in other states even if you don't go to wyoming for any reason at all you know i think most of us do most of us are applying building points in wyoming you know i i pretty much every person i talk to that i'm friends with that i hunt with whatever we're all building points in how many wyoming. you got i've got six elk points up there now and, and actually i think i got six deer points too i haven't even paid attention for non-residents how close is that for drawing I think I can draw a couple areas, um, not the best areas, but I think I can still draw some some okay areas with six points. 
I just going to hold out for the top end ones or what? No, I just need a year when I'm not doing anything else. Like this year I went to Alaska <laughs> next year. I, I'm hoping to draw my, my Utah elk tag. And then the year after, um, we're, <laughs> we're going to New Zealand hunting uh, red stag. And so it'll be a few All years right. before I, I get to go to hunt deer in Wyoming. But, uh, we're, Where's our invite for the red stag? Hey, come on, brother. Let's go. You just tell me, uh, you want me to send you the information? You just, all you got to do is just sign up. It's really easy, actually. They make it very easy to sign up for those things. You're flipping the bill, right? No, that's what Curtis is for. Uh, yeah. Oh, Curtis is. I'm, I'm down for that. <laughs> yeah, Curtis is the one that's got the sugar mama. He should be flipping the bill for all of this. That's great. <laughs> don't tell her i said that i've seen her walking around I back know. there she's gonna come over here and whoop my butt yes yeah don't, don't sure. take charge by how big of a red stag you shoot too yeah yeah so you yeah. can you can uh book for whatever you want and then when you get there obviously you can change your mind and you can add additional animals to them so so we're actually going to do uh red stag and and fallow deer we were going to do tar but you have to fly to a different island for the tar and it was just going to be a bit of a a headache and so we, we're just doing red stag and, and fallow deer cool. well if curtis is paying just sign me up for the biggest class red yeah. stag there is yeah that's 650 inch plus category yeah, i'll take that i'll take one of them yeah they're ch they're pretty cheap i think curtis probably makes that much money in a in a couple of weeks so no big deal yeah uh, uh. <laughs> so no like I've, i'm excited so back to my point with uh, wyoming is is a lot of us are putting in for wyoming points and so it means a lot to to all of us, even if we don't live in Wyoming. So I think that a lot of people should be, you know, donating to the Winter Range Foundation because, I mean, go look at the animals that these guys are posting on social media. If you want to hunt deer like that, you need to support causes like this so that these animals can grow, develop, live, and, and be able to hunt them at, at some point. They'll be able to breed and, and make more babies for us to, to enjoy. So, and also, you know, even outside of hunting, like I said, I enjoy just going out, taking pictures of them. Uh, I'm super. I'm almost just as excited about tomorrow as I am, you know, opening day of the hunting season. I just like going out and watching the, these animals. So anybody that likes to just go see these animals, I think you need to be donating to to foundations like the like the Winter Range Foundation. So absolutely. And to touch on something we talked about earlier, we're going to focus on Wyoming. However, we're brought a project in you know Utah, Colorado that really you know touches our strings here. We have no problem going down there now. We're at least making our, you know, making some calls and trying to make it right. Awesome. So if you have a project in mind or if you think you find a need for something, shoot us an email, give us a call, whatever. We need to do a, an e-hunter and winter range project, you know. That'd be kind of cool. There you go. That'd be cool. Yeah. I'll start looking yeah. for something down here, see if we can't get something lined up to do that. Now that Seth's here with me, you know, we could, I'm sure we could find something and we could get a good crew together to be able to do something. If we get you guys to get out of Wyoming, come down, play some golf, do a winter range project. Yeah, just make sure it's after February when all the deer have dropped their antlers <laughs> and before May 1st. So you have a small frame there. No, it's going to be uh, November 11th of 2023. <laughs> I am out. Oh, oh man. So you, you guys hear that? He doesn't want to come do a, a project for the winter. I got, I got to check my schedule, but it looks like I'm only free from March until April. <laughs> <laughs> You're limiting, me, limiting us on these uh, winter range projects, man. What the freak? <laughs> oh shoot well guys i sure appreciate what you're doing and uh you guys got me all excited again i i, I love this and i i hope that this gets everybody else excited and and you really encourage people to really participate in this stuff we talk to talk all the time we're always talking about oh we want bigger animals we want better animals we want better quality and numbers and all that stuff well it's one thing to talk to talk but it's another thing to walk the walk and to walk the walk you've got to be right there with Curtis and Monty and, and, you know, be participating in this stuff, donating to this stuff, volunteering, doing all, all those things. So, so sure. Appreciate you guys. What, what kind of hunts do you guys got lined up? You guys got anything cool happening in the near future? Oh man, this year I, I did too much. The wife's about to divorce me. So I'm going to take it easy a little bit. You did <laughs> Try you, to stay married. You had a, a good months. year, man. You, you, you knocked down, <laughs> you, you got some critters this year. Yeah, we hunted Wyoming. We killed two good bucks in Wyoming, and then I did an Idaho hunt and just got home from Colorado as well. So I've been all around. It's been fun. Jeez. Like I said, Monty, some things never change. He's just never around to, to do stuff, you know? I mean, jeez. 
about me on the head there. <laughs> what about you, Monty? You got any hunts planned? Anything fun going on over there? Uh, I do a lot of filming. Like mostly filming is what I do. I go out several hours a day. But that and coyote hunting is in the near future. So whatever. But it's hard to leave these deer. You're the pronghorn guy. You don't have any good pronghorn hunts coming up. I can't draw. I can't draw any tags. Oh well, come down here and show Seth how to kill a pronghorn. He never got one, did he? No, he didn't. I don't know. I don't know about hunting prong antelope with a, a bow. That's it. that was. I mean, you got a lot of stalks oh. in and and whatnot, but that's almost impossible. Weren't you the one that said that antelope hunting was so easy? It, it, well, they they jump in your truck, but you got to shoot them with your bow before they jump in the truck, and that's hard to do when they're running. <laughs> Actually, no, they're pretty tough. Truth be told, they literally ran like if we would if this would have been rifle hunting, we would have been like smash and grab done on the first morning. Like it would have been the easiest thing in the world. But man, with a bow, that's Did that's you a new element. That, huh? Yeah, yeah, I went out with him. Yeah. Oh gosh, three or four, maybe five days. I went with him. Um, I I kept telling him to sit water, sit water, and just be patient. I don't know if he did or not, but I didn't think he would. Well, the problem was we we put up his uh, pop up blind on water, and uh, there were some cattle in the area. And I don't know if you ever seen what a cattle does to a, a pop up blind, but they can make a mess of it in a hurry. So uh, poor Seth he lost he lost his pop up blind. <laughs> So my last my last antelope tag in Wyoming was last year, and Curtis and I were same thing. We left. We had a wall tent where our camp was set up. Uh -huh. We came back later that day, demolished the wall my tent was. Oh. everything was spread through the prairie. Damn cattle! <laughs> Did they step on the poles and break all the poles and stuff like that? I think I think they only broke one. Right? One. Yeah, one, one was bent yeah. and broken. Man, yeah. see we. I, when I pulled up, I thought we were robbed, and then I could see the, the cow turds all over the freaking <laughs> campus tent, and I was like, yeah, we were robbed, all right? Uh, I, Seth was so pissed when we when he found his pop-up line all just torn to pieces. <laughs> and, then he, and then he's so stubborn, he can't go out and buy another one, right? No, all he had to do was go buy some pole, another pole, and he'd been, or a couple poles, I think, and he'd have been fine, but yeah, he was too stubborn. We just, uh, we chased him around in the side-by-side, -side and he got a decoy out, and it, man, it was a goat rodeo there for a little while, but, you yeah, know, he, he got a, he did actually get uh, pretty close. I mean, he got some opportunities, so I guess I can't say it was a complete fail. I think he said he spent a bunch of money on new gear and then he refused to buy another $60 blind or whatever he needed. Yeah. <laughs> why, why the hell spend 500 if you're not going to spend another 60 on something that's pretty needed to set a water hole? But. Well, he probably spent 500 just in fuel alone trying to get out to the to where the antelope were. So you spend that much money yeah. in fuel, you might as well spend 60 bucks and get a pull out. He's going to kick our butts for uh, laughing at him and, and talking about yeah. it because I know he's going to listen to this. <laughs> can't defend himself he's not here yeah he's in bed he's probably for sleeping oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, shoot well guys uh, we'll go ahead and uh and get and close this out but man i sure appreciate you guys uh sure miss you as, uh, and being around and doing these e-hunter meetings all the time we need to, to get together and do a, a shoot in the bull podcast maybe like once a month or once a quarter at least and and just have some fun and fun and, and just get together so pick a date yeah, I'll we'll pick we'll, we'll pick the topic. Oh boy, is it coyote or coyote? I, I still I'm still not sure on that one. So uh, <laughs> pretty definite answer on that one. Uh, we'll do it. Hey, before I let you guys go though, I mean I know you said the winterrange dot uh, is your guys' website. Is that the best way? To, is there a contact section on there? Or do you guys have other ways that you'd like people to contact you? Yeah, we have Instagram, Facebook, and then obviously our website. We have a contact page on our website. If not, just reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram. Perfect. We're pretty active on Instagram, the best, you know. Instagram's the best. Okay. Go on our website and find some cool hats. That goes towards a good cause, too. Yeah, that's that, I'm digging that hat, man. That's pretty sweet. Not too bad. Yeah. Good old Morty. Such an awesome deer. Yeah. Gosh, he's such an awesome deer. Good man we posted a picture <laughs> posted a picture of him on the web or on our facebook uh, the other day every time we post a picture of a morty or popeye they just everybody loves those pictures so morty's sheds are about 
a hundred yards away from us right now, sitting on the, the wall over here. Well, you should have brought them over here so we could see them. <laughs> have They're on a mount in yeah. this house. Well, that's there's it's a perfect... right, ne right next to King Crab where he sits. Really, you guys are gonna have to send me a picture of that. They look good on that wall behind you there, Curtis. Too. You ought to just see if you can talk them into letting you have them and and put them over there on that wall. Let me borrow it. Yep. <laughs> see what he says. Uh, I'll bet. I'll, I'll bet I can tell you what he's gonna say, but I can't say it on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool, guys. We'll sure appreciate you. Um, everybody, make sure that you uh, check out the Winter Range. Winterrange dot org. Uh, check out Curtis and Monty. Uh, donate. Help out any way that you possibly can. So, all right, guys, we'll uh, we'll check right, you. Thanks, we'll, we'll catch you later. See ya.